So Roger said that everybody's got a little extra hop in their step a little bit today. I do a little bit because there's this really cool thing happening right now. There's this conspiracy of love and kindness happening right now as we speak in the Dallas airport. My daughter, many of you know, she's on, uh, she's posted as a missionary in Hidalgo, Mexico. And it's a six-month posting, and many of you are supporting her uh, being there. Thank you for that. But she couldn't come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas because uh, that's really kind of hot ministry time down there. But she got to come home for a week. So she's on her way from Mexico to Amarillo today. And she's landed in Dallas and is going through customs and all of that to her next flight. So on the flip side here, my wife went to Arizona this weekend. She went because it's her dad's 80th birthday. And she and her younger brother from Chicago, Brian, they met up and went and surprised their dad. And it was just this awesome thing. Well, um, Carrie was the uh, travel agent for Callie a long time ago when she got all this arranged. And she realized, she goes, honey, I, th- I think I could work it out to where I am on her flight from Dallas to Amarillo and surprise her on that flight. And she did. And because she was the travel agent, she's got the seat right next to her. This is happening right now. And so I am so excited. Yeah, isn't that great? There is this, this, this parental loving conspiracy, right? That is, that is trying to happen to bless our daughter. And so I'm really giddy about that. And so if you see a little hop in my step, I get to pick them both up today at the airport after worship this morning. So I'm excited about that. So as we continue our sermon series today called Missing Christmas, we're taking a look at some characters surrounding the birth of Jesus in Scripture. But specifically, I mean, this is arguably, not arguably, this is, in our belief system, one of the most historical events in all of history. Like, this is, this is a monumental moment, the birth of Jesus. But there are characters that are around that story that, that missed it. They totally whiffed. Even though, I mean, he traveled as far as anyone traveled. Callie's coming from Mexico to Texas. He came from heaven to earth and right into their space, right into their literal space and time, and they missed it. They totally whiffed while they, when he was right there. And so we're looking at these guys and some of the reasons why they missed it. That's what we're kind of exploring and considering because while our specific circumstances are different here 2,000 years later, the reason they missed the gift of Jesus in that first Christmas can be the same reasons that we miss out on Jesus in some way. And so that's kind of what we're doing. So last week, for example, we spoke of King Herod, and I proposed that he missed the gift that Jesus could have been to him, and through him in his position of power, he missed it because he wanted to keep his crown. He wanted to be king. He didn't want another king. He didn't want to surrender his life. He wanted control. He wanted it his way. He wanted to decide what he would do in his life. And so anything that stands in the way 
of you and I missing all that Jesus is and has for us and invites us into. That is self-defeating. And so we don't want, I ask you to consider, is, there, is your life or any area of your life not available for surrender to Jesus? That's self-defeating. So this December, we're wanting to turn our attention onto those things that might keep us from, uh, or make us miss Jesus these days. So we looked at King Herod last week. We found his story in Matthew. We flip over to Luke and that we read earlier, and we find another character in the story, one that's alluded to here, and that is the innkeeper. The innkeeper. Remember him? The, uh, I won't reread all of it, but after Luke chapter 2 tells us that Rome has demanded that all of the people under its authority, they want to do a census. And they are demanding everyone go to their hometown to check in, to register for that census. That explains why Joseph, with his very, very, very pregnant wife, when he should not be traveling, is in Bethlehem, okay? And so uh, the account summarizes this milestone for all of mankind with two verses. I'll just reread that part. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And here it is. Because there was no room for them in the inn. So that's it. Those nine or ten words right there is where we get the character in all of our Christmas plays of that innkeeper. He's not even mentioned actually in Scripture. He has no lines. Now in all the Christmas plays, he does, right? We, in our creative thinking, he has lines and he's the one that lets them know. Because presumably if they went to some in and they knocked on that door someone had to tell them there's no room in the inn that's the innkeeper that's who we imagine that being and i remember i remember particularly a cartoon what i mean i've seen plays that kids have put on and adults have put on in in uh churches the nativity story and the whole scene and the innkeeper is always an actual character with actual lines but he's often not he's like presented pretty negatively I don't, I don't know if you have that in your emotional memory of these. I remember a cartoon growing up of the innkeeper. The innkeeper always seems to be a big guy. It's always at night. We don't know that it was at night when they were there, but it's always at night just to maximize the inconvenience on this innkeeper, I guess. And, and he, he opens the door sort of with a scowl, like he's surprised someone's knocking on his inn. And there is this sweet couple, this young, pregnant couple in desperate need. And they ask politely. And in the cartoon I had, he said, there's no room and slams the door. And he's only nice enough just to say, there's a stable out back. You know, there's, and we don't know what that was either. It's depicted as a cave sometimes, a barn of some sort. Of, you know, it might be a lean-to on the side of a building that was coming. We, we don't know, but it's somewhere with a manger, right? So we, it's where the animals sleep. And so I have a little more compassion for this innkeeper and the way we imagine what he was dealing with. I mean, think about it. He had to be busy. I mean, this was census time. Everyone that has roots in Bethlehem is coming back to Bethlehem all in the same time period, week or weekend. I don't know what it was, but they're all coming back. So the demand on his probably already busy life is even more right? He probably has a pretty full life, and now it's fuller. This probably wasn't the first knock on his door that day. 
right? And, and I could see him even seeing their plight and, and his compassion just, but he's overwhelmed. And, he, I just, and so maybe even he didn't offer to everybody else that didn't have available the stable, you know, but, but may, I just imagine, it's not in scripture. We don't have his lines, but that's what I'm imagining kind of happens. I mean, we wouldn't do this probably in America, but if our nation decided we're going to have a census and everybody has to go to their hometown to register for that, how busy would Amarillo be? I mean, it, we, everyone everywhere that has roots here is coming back here. And there's going to be particular, I mean, our streets are going to be busier, our restaurants are going to be taxed, our resources are going to be, by tax, I just mean expended. They're going to be busy and, and, and hotels, they're going to be packed Okay, and so I've got compassion for this guy because he was busy. He was dealing with something. He was probably pretty overwhelmed. And so yet another request for his time and attention. He just, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And so he missed Christmas, right? He missed it. So it's not unreasonable to assume that for everyone in that town, but even more so for him, I mean, if he was turning the rooms, people were coming and registering and then leaving, and that, that he was pretty busy. So while we're using some imagination, I feel like I'm at least presenting for today the idea that he missed Christmas because he was busy. His life was just over full, and he, was, he didn't have time for this interruption that would have ended up being an interruption of God, literally. And that is what I want to bring forth as relevant to us today, for sure. The idea that we could miss out on something really important simply because we're too busy, that's pretty much every day for most of us. We just feel it constantly. We've got things to do. We go to bed not done. We get up overwhelmed sometimes. This is not, I'm not the only one, right? This is, this is common for us. And so the idea that we could miss something very significant including God, is not out of the question because we are so busy. We get busyness. And, it, it, when, and you, it's kind of in the air. It's kind of in the, the air we breathe, this idea of busyness, if you notice. I mean, one of the top three answers to the superficial question, how you doing, is what? Busy. I'm busy. And we say it with, oh, you know, and, and the, a secondary, another one of the top three is tired, right? Tired. That's very common response. And we're tired because we're busy, right? I mean, even that one, two of the top three answers. The other one's fine, right? Probably a lie, but you know, still busy. We, we get busyness. And not only do we feel busy all the time, we presume everyone else is busy too. Like, I can't tell you, how, and this is just polite, I guess, but it's just revealing how many requests I get made of me of things that, People know I love, like, hey, could, could, could I get together and, and, and talk about Jesus? You know, I mean, I love that. But they always started with, hey, I know you're busy, but, right? Like, isn't that true? Hey, I know you're busy. And it feels like I'm grateful inside, if I'm honest, down. I, even if I'm not busy, I'm grateful that they think I am, you know, and that I might. It just makes it feel like I'm sacrificing even more. For doing something, you know, this is—it's just everywhere. It's got its invisible tentacles in all that we do, and it's not just a curse. We also see it like as a trophy, almost, right? Like if I'm busy, 
then I must be important. Right? There's this, there's this association that I think we invisibly make that if I'm not busy, I'm not important. Or if I'm not, there aren't a lot of demands, I don't know if I'm useful. If there aren't a lot of demands on me, I don't know if I'm loved. It, it can get that twisted. And that's on the positive side. On the negative side, if I'm not busy, maybe I'm lazy. Right? Like, if I'm not constantly doing something, then I might feel like I'm, I don't want anyone to think I'm lazy. So I can't have nothing to do. I can't have margin in my life. I might be seen as lazy and I need to prove that I'm not. That's just like in there. And even if it's not for other people, for myself. I can prove to myself that I'm not lazy. I hope this is resonating with you as something thick in the atmosphere that we live in. I remember a teaching by John Eldridge that it's called, he, I remember the title of it. I heard it a decade ago, maybe. It was called The Spirit of the Age. And in this teaching, he examined some cultural assumptions that Alexander the Great, you know, in Greece, it was called the Hellenization of the world. He was taking over the world and making every place Greek. He wanted everything, to, Greek culture to invade. And Greek culture had some unique things to it. And over, and this includes the Middle East. And so there was a big slice of the Jewish people that believed, they ended up being the Sadducees, that believed they could be, over time, they could be Greek and Jewish. And so they adopted a lot of these Greek things. Now, I can't remember everything he talked about, but I remember just going, man, it's just so obvious that they are compromising in a core way who they are as Jews to be Greek. And to them, it was invisible. To them, they couldn't see it. We can see it, looking back and evaluating and seeing the contrast, but they couldn't because that was the spirit of the age. That was the air they breathed, right? It was just, it was just that's what cultural assumption means. It has become so true, so thickly assumed, that you don't even notice it anymore even if it affects things. And then John named, he said, I'm telling you that to name what he thought was the spirit of our age. And you guessed it, busyness. Busy, drivenness. The need and the assumption that you just got to be doing constantly. There's all kinds of reasons that we believe that. So I think anyone, I guess anyone in any age could get so overwhelmed with the life that they've plotted and then the demands that come on them that they could miss important things, including God, like the innkeeper. But perhaps we're particularly susceptible because of the spirit of our age, the value we have on having our lives overfull because we're too busy. And I've noticed even when I'm not too busy, when I have suddenly find myself with space, nothing urgent, I still feel busy. Like I still feel protective of my time, scared that something's going to happen. Some, I need to, I, it's, like, it's like getting out of the pool, you're still wet. You know, you still, you got to do some extra work to just get the pool off of you. It's like that. Even if you made a move to have margin, to have margin in your life, space, for God, to be interruptible by God, even if that's the motive, that you would still feel the, 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 the wetness on you of busyness, 
We are at a place now, tell me this isn't true. I believe even if you had a healthy rhythm in your life that might be feel like laziness, that even if you had a healthy rhythm in your life, that you would still feel like maybe you're not maximizing all that you should be doing. And you're like, where does that come from? It's not from God. And it jeopardizes, actually, possibly us experiencing God when he wants to love us. So I want to play you a quick video. And you remember VeggieTales? Yeah, it's been a while since we had that, but they, the geniuses wrote these things. And partly is because they take Bible stories and they put them, present them in these great ways with these nice little songs. And when Dole saw what I was preaching on this week, he remembered this particular VeggieTale and he showed it. I go, we got it. We got to play it. Okay, so I want you to listen to this. This is a story. It's based on a story that Jesus, baby Jesus will grow up and he will share with some of the teachers of the law that, that he's talking to there about a guy that got in trouble and how these good, godly people were just too busy to be interrupted. So watch this. Yeah, so I play this for you because you're never getting that song out of your head. <laughs> it's why Dole remembered it from so long ago because once it's in there, it doesn't go away. And I am praying that the Holy Spirit brings it into your mind in obnoxious fashion at just the right time. At just the right time when the knock on your door comes. And it is an opportunity to be interruptible, to consider that maybe your busyness is not as important as what God might be trying to give to you. I want us to heal from this in holy rebellion to not be so busy that we're not interruptible and that maybe that song, you let it happen. If it happens, you'll some moment, probably today, you'll have some moment where, oh, I need to slow down. And that song comes to mind. Let it happen. And just be curious. Be curious and see if it's God. What harm would that do? Do you think God will let things fall apart on you if you prioritize him? Even if you're wrong, it wasn't God at all. I think he'll cover you, that he'll appreciate it. How cool would it have been if in our little nativity scenes we set up, we got baby Jesus, and Joseph, and Mary, and we've got, you know, the, the animals, and the shepherds, and the wise men with their gifts, and the innkeeper, and his family, as part of that story. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome? But he missed it. He missed it. Now, one of my other points of compassion for the innkeeper, when I just read this story honestly, I mean, there's no way he could have known that this young pregnant lady is carrying the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, right? There's just, I just, when I think of this, even when I'm hearing myself preach this, I'm like, there's no way he could have known, you know? And if he did, I imagine, if he did, uh, honey, we're going to let them have our bed. I mean, it there would have been spared no expense to make room for God if he knew. But, but I went back and went, that's just oftentimes not how God has decided to work. Sometimes I guess he does. He shows up in what we call, I always say, I just want my burning bush. Just be clear. God. And I'll do it. I'll respond if it's just clear. But that's not how it is. I've told y'all before when we talk about spiritual warfare that Satan never shows up like 
you know, with red skin and pointy, you know, tail and a pitchfork and fire blazing behind him. He'd be obvious. He comes in disguise, right? Well, on the other side, Jesus has taught us that he often shows up in some disguises as well. Most famously, Matthew 25 gives us one of these pictures where Jesus preached it many times, but it's a picture of judgment day. And on that day, he separates the the sheep from the goats. The sheep are the ones that didn't miss him. And the goats are the ones that they whiffed, they missed him. And after he rebukes them, he explains, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they answer, when, Lord, did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, needing clothes, sick or in prison and did not help you? Because if we knew it was you, we would have done it for sure. Could have slept in our bed. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. He's in disguise. This isn't his only place. I've done a study with you before. Everywhere in scripture where I say you can, where it says you can find Jesus. He, he says you can find him in children. You know, we're inconvenienced sometimes by children. But he says, anyone who welcomes one of these welcomes me. Find him in children. Find him in the church. We're literally described as the body of Christ. We come here for the fellowship we share, but also to experience Jesus to worship him and to experience in him. He's somehow mysteriously here in the Lord's Supper. You're literally receiving him like we're supposed to, consuming him. He is in that body. It's his body and his blood, and you're receiving and believing in him. You're trying to remember him and not miss him and literally take him in. And there's a bunch more, but seeing Jesus demands at least enough margin in your life to be interruptible and to be curious to be curious Moses is the first example of this in scripture that I could find okay so I mentioned the burning bush even the burning bush wasn't as burning bush as you think okay so you've if you've grown up in church you've heard the story of the burning bush Moses gets spoken to through it but I want to read it. it's four verses and point out something to you that maybe you haven't noticed before he says now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. From within the bush, Moses. Moses. Notice this. Just walk through me with me here. Verse 1 lets us know Moses was busy. He's busy. He's taking care of some flocks. They're not even his. They're his father-in-law. So he's probably, okay, i got to take care of these. are my, my father-in-law's, you know, flocks. And he's not just taking them out to the back pasture. He's gone to the far side of the desert. He's probably tired. He's looking after them in this far place away from home. He needs to watch them. So he's busy. And then the narrator in verse 2 lets us know what's about to happen, that it's the angel of the Lord, but it's not Moses. I mean, Moses. Yeah, Moses doesn't know. Moses doesn't know. Notice it says, he just saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. He saw a strange sight. We know this because we get an insight into his thinking. He goes, you know what? I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. He didn't know why it wasn't burning up. Uh Uh-uh. 
He was interruptible and curious. And then, if, as if to make the point that this is a part of your, is to be a part of your life if you want to experience God, God, the Holy Spirit records right here that it wasn't until after the Lord saw that Moses went over to look that God spoke. Isn't this interesting? Have you ever noticed this? It is when God saw, he waited. He gave an invitation, a little knock on the door, this strange sight, but he waited. Is he too busy for me? Is he going to be attentive? Is he curious enough to go and look when he saw it? He didn't yell for, Moses, come here. Come here, I'll show you why it's not burning up. It's me, God. No, he didn't do that. After he was interruptible, after he went over to look. This is all I'm calling you to today. To make room in your life. Just, ugh margin enough you don't have to be not busy but you need to be interruptible it takes faith to do this it takes faith to leave your plans and the demands that you didn't plan to to in holy rebellion against the spirit of the age against the overwhelming nature of our lives to listen for god to be interruptible. It takes faith to do that. You've got to trust God that he might be over there in that interruption and he will be okay taking care of these things that I feel like are on me. It's easy. I know, it's simple. It's not easy. Not in this spirit of the age. I am saying it's worth it. You do not want to miss out on Jesus. You do not want to miss out on God because you're not interruptible. So here's the question for today. Are you too busy for God? And this is most certainly relevant in how you've designed your life right now. That's on you, right? How you've designed your life right now. Do you have rhythms built into your life for God to intervene, for God to speak, for God to have say, for God to have sway? For God to influence. Have you, do you make time for the classic disciplines for prayer? Do you make time for that? That is already holy rebellion against our busyness just to go and make time for prayer. For Christian fellowship, just the fact that you're here means you've gotten enough, something in your rhythm today, this week at least, and that's a good habit. But to really, even in the midst of this, to make time for God to speak through the fellowship, to interrupt you. Do you read scripture, the story of our behind our faith and the story of our faith do you read christian books are you a reader do you do you listen to uh podcasts or however it is that you get spiritual people's guiding your thoughts perhaps right into christ we've been we've been asking you it's not here we've been asking you all year to do an accelerator event this whole year we started for, you can do it anytime this year to take a time out from your life and go up on the proverbial mountain for an extended time with God, a beginning and an end. Have you? Have you? If not, I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you. Just ask, why not? Why not? There may be good and godly reasons you haven't, but if it's because I just haven't made time, I haven't found time, I think you're taking a knee to the spirit of the age rather than the Holy Spirit and giving 
room for God. So in the normal rhythms of your life. But today specifically is more true to my interpretation of the story of the innkeeper is are you interruptible in the midst of your busyness? Are you interruptible? If God came knocking on your door, if Jesus did show up in one of his main disguises today, at lunch today, in the foyer today, on the phone later today, will you be interruptible? Will you be curious? Will you be like Moses? Will God watch you go and see? Hmm. And he might speak. He might give you an experience of him. Let me ask the praise team and Dole to come on back up here. You know, I, uh, I have compassion for the, this feeling of being overwhelmed. I looked in scripture for the first mention of that word, overwhelmed. And it's David. This is the first step. David's going to give you a first step. It's in 2 Samuel. He ta- it's not, it sounds like one of his psalms, but it's not. He just is, he says, the waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. We have felt like that. We have felt like that. Here's what he did. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. He reached down from on high, took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Here's what I know. There is a conspiracy of kindness constantly going on. The parent's love is looking for a way to meet up with you and surprise you and give you the joy of the sight of your father. That's what he wants to do. He's always wanting. There's not one day he's not wanting to do that. How many days do you have time for that to happen? It'll change your life. It'll change your life, and it'll fill it regardless of your circumstances. So let's, let's let, I just can't wait to hear what Callie, what Callie felt when she saw her mom coming down the aisle last with the stewardess doing a video, if I know Carrie. I'll get to see it. It may be on my phone now. I don't know. And, and, and the overwhelming joy, the giddy smile Callie will have as she's looking at her mom riding on this last leg of her journey home. You can ask her about tonight. She can't wait to be here tonight in the kids' line and eat all that food because she's sick of Mexican food. (laughs) I think she'll be overwhelmed with love, and that's what we get to be. Let it happen. Let's be overwhelmed by him. Let's stand and let's praise him.